Here's a flash from the Medved Show, a flash sale. We just added a 50% off opportunity to getting an annual basic Medhead subscription. Now that makes it just $29.95 per year. That breaks out to $2.50 per month. Go to promo code MEDHEAD at michaelmedved.com. That's michaelmedved.com, the promo code MEDHEAD. And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It's a great day for the nation, partially because it's a great day for the Supreme Court of the United States. There's so many people who had lost faith in the Supreme Court, partially because of the uh, decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Some people were angry about the decision uh, getting rid of uh, affirmative action, judging people based on race, not on their achievements or talents or any other aspect of their personalities. Uh, though, by the way, the, the polling on, on that issue, on the number of people, including a majority of black Americans, uh, do believe that people should be, uh, judged in a colorblind manner, not based upon what ethnic group they identify with. But today, regardless of how you feel about any of the court's recent decisions, there was uh, such a, a sense of unanimity and a sense that the case that was being brought by the state of Colorado was just going too far. How was it going too far? Because it was taking away from the people of the United States the right to choose a president that they want. Uh, I do not believe that we will have a majority of Americans. It may be a plurality, but I don't think it will be a majority of Americans who want President uh, Trump to return to the White House. But we have a whole campaign to work that out. And that is the choice of some close to 200 million voters. It's not the choice of nine uh, people, no matter how well educated they may be in the American law. Uh, one of the most uh, uh, forceful, it seems to me, questions that were put today in the oral arguments before the Supreme Court uh, was a question put by the Chief Justice, who I greatly admire. And John Roberts asked uh, a very real question, which is that, okay, if the state of Colorado uh, decides that they can take uh, Trump off the ballot as a candidate for president based upon some form of disqualification, some undefined guilt because there has been no trial of President Trump yet. That's coming about whether he did in fact promote an insurrection. And I think President Trump has a lot of explaining to do on that issue and that's fine. But the idea that to assume that it is already determined when there has been no legal proceeding to determine it at all, no congressional resolution, no uh, formal indictment of President Trump that has has actually led to a conviction of President Trump uh, regarding insurrection that isn't there. In any event, what Justice Roberts asked, and I think it was very forceful and very clear, 
was uh, that if Colorado can remove Trump from the ballot, uh, why can't another state then remove a Democrat from the ballot? Uh, if this is all left up to states, then what you're doing is you're giving an individual state power over the federal government in a way that the founders clearly didn't intend. Justice Kagan, who you would think would be about as anti-Trump as she could be, I mean, look at her background, former uh, dean of Harvard Law School, by the way, and uh, someone uh, appointed by President Obama. Uh, But here is uh, Justice Kagan asking uh, a crucial question of Jason Murray, who was the lead attorney for the plaintiffs for the Colorado uh, defenders of the uh, the law uh, that uh, they had passed or the decision that had been made by the Colorado Supreme Court to strike Trump's name from the ballot. This is Justice Kagan, clip two. Most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president again is, you know, just say it, it sounds awfully national to me. Um, So whatever means there are to enforce it would suggest that they have to be federal national means. Why does, uh, you know, if you weren't from Colorado and you were from Wisconsin or you were from Michigan, and it really, you know, what the Michigan Secretary of State did is going to make the difference between, you know, whether candidate A is elected or candidate B is elected, I mean, that seems quite extraordinary, doesn't it? No, Your Honor, because ultimately it's this court that's going to decide that question of federal constitutional eligibility and settle the issue for the nation. And and certainly it's not unusual that questions of national importance come up. Well, I suppose this court would be saying something along the lines of that a state has the power to do it. But I guess I was was asking you to go a little bit further and saying, why should that be the right rule? Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination, not only for their own citizens, but for the rest of the nation. And uh, that is a powerful, powerful argument and one that works well. She she came in with this question midway, uh, seeming to end the case and to settle it. And it was almost as if she were speaking for all nine of the justices of the court. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, and, and by the way, Jason Murray, the attorney for Colorado, uh, is a former clerk of Justice Kagan. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh, who is uh, usually put on the other side of issues, was uh, very much uh, sympathetic with uh, Justice Kagan. By the way, Jason Murray also uh, uh, clerked uh, for him. Uh, actually, no, he didn't. He clerked for Neil Gorsuch, but he clerked for somebody else on the Republican side of things. Brett Kavanaugh, appointed by President Trump, uh, hit the lead attorney, Jason Murray, who's trying to keep Trump off the ballot 
with a much-needed reality check. Uh, This is clip seven. Some of the rhetoric of your position, I don't think it is your position, but some of the rhetoric of your position seems to suggest unless the states can do this, no one can prevent insurrectionists from holding federal office. But obviously Congress has enacted statutes, uh, including one still in effect, Section 2383 of Title 18 prohibits insurrection. It's a federal criminal statute. And if you're convicted of that, you are, it says, shall be disqualified from holding any office. And so there is a federal statute on the books, but um, President Trump has not been charged with that. He hasn't been charged with that and he hasn't been convicted. And uh, meaning that uh, if you're convicted of an insurrection, you shall be disqualified from holding any office. But uh, the uh, question of Trump's participation in and uh, involvement in an insurrection is highly controversial. And in fact, uh, that's the the essence of the big trial that is coming up sometime in March, one hopes, and that is the big trial with Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, taking a look at uh, what also had been found by the special select committee about uh, what happened on January 6th. Is it rightly classified as a riot uh, or an insurrection? Uh, one, one could hardly say that it can be classified as a, a tourists uh, going through a stroll inside the Capitol building. Not when 140 police officers uh, were injured. Uh, there is uh, more on this issue coming up. We'll also be speaking with uh, Stephen Hayes coming up uh, from the dispatch. Uh, he will be uh, talking about, well, Trump's veep stakes. What is at stake with Trump's election of a vice president? And uh, why is there this peculiar appetite for the group No Labels? And does that really mean that there will be a a Hollywood ticket that uh, is foisted upon the public? We will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. Here's a flash from the Medved Show, a flash sale. We just added a 50% off opportunity to getting an annual basic Medhead subscription. Now that makes it just $29.95. Per year. That breaks out to $2.50 per month. Go to promo code MEDHEAD at michaelmedved.com. That's michaelmedved.com, the promo code MEDHEAD. Michael Medved show. Uh, yes, I would love to put on the air for you to hear yourself back and forth with the justices battling one another and uh, Justice Kavanaugh going uh, toe to toe with Justice uh, Katanji Brown Jackson and Justice Elena Kagan taking on Justice Sam Alito. Did happen. You know why not? Because this was among uh, all the cases that involved Donald Trump, this is one of the easiest. 
And, and by the way, the one thing people say about this, they say Democrats were conspiring to take uh, Trump's name off the ballot. Actually, most of the people who were involved with emphasizing this Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, and talking about Trump as an insurrectionist, most of them were Republicans. And they were Republicans who were very anti-Trump. But uh, that is a factor in uh, national life right now. And even if you look at one of the most advantageous recent polls for uh, President Trump, uh, it, it shows that he has much less unanimous support among Republicans than, uh, than Biden does uh, among Democrats. There are only 2% of Democrats who say they're, they're planning to vote for Trump. Uh, 7% of Republicans say they're planning to vote for Biden. But leave that aside for a moment, because right now, President Trump is about to celebrate and what is going to be, and probably announced very soon, a uh, decisive victory over the state of Colorado, at least their Supreme Court, which voted in a four to three decision that uh, Trump's name would be removed from the ballot. By the way, his name is actually on the primary ballot for Colorado because they had a stay of enforcing that judgment by the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, again, another Trump appointee, told um, the uh, representatives of the state of Colorado, uh, led by uh, Jason Murray, uh, they told them that their bid to keep uh, former President Trump off the primary ballot could have a, uh, a really a terrible uh, impact on the idea of election integrity. How? Uh, listen, this is clip six. What about the idea that um, we should think about democracy, think about the right of the people to elect uh, candidates of their choice, uh, of letting the people decide? Because your position has the effect of disenfranchising uh, voters to a significant degree. And should that be something, does that come in when we think about should we read Section 3 this way or read it that way? What about the background principle? If you agree, of democracy. I'd like to make three points on that, Justice Kavanaugh. The first is that constitutional safeguards are for the purpose of safeguarding our democracy, not just for the next election cycle, but for generations to come. And, and second, Section 3 is designed to protect our democracy in that very way. The framers of Section 3 knew from painful experience that those who had violently broken their oaths to the Constitution couldn't be trusted to hold power again because they could dismantle our constitutional democracy from within. And so they created a democratic safety valve. President Trump can go ask Congress to give him amnesty by a two-thirds vote. But unless he does that, our Constitution protects us from insurrectionists. And third, this case illustrates the danger of refusing to apply Section 3 as written, because the reason we're here is that President Trump tried to disenfranchise 80 million Americans who voted against him. Okay, uh, that uh, uh, that argument uh, showing the essence of uh, what some of the uh, core beliefs or core motivations were from the people who were applying that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in the way they did. Uh, 
Katenji Brown Jackson uh, went after Colorado's entire argument. This in exchange with Jason Murray, who is uh, an attorney representing the group of Colorado voters who uh, were coming forward to defend the decision of the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, this is clip nine. What is very clear from the history is, is that the framers were concerned about charismatic rebels who might rise through the ranks up to and including the presidency of the United States. But then why didn't they put the word president in the very enumerated list in Section 3? The thing that really is troubling to me is I totally understand your argument, but they were listing people that were barred and president is not there. And so I guess that just makes me worry that maybe they weren't focusing on the president and, for example, the fact that electors of vice president and president are there suggests that really what they thought was if we're worried about the charismatic person, we're going to bar insurrectionist electors and therefore that person is never going to rise. Uh, and uh, th this uh, uh, idea that uh, uh, you're talking about uh, the details of the language, which is what people call the easy off-ramp from uh, this particular issue, Justice Gorsuch, very quickly, uh, took a sledgehammer to Colorado's entire argument for keeping Trump off the ballot. Uh Listen, this is clip three. Given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office, it was a point Mr. Mitchell was making earlier, and I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to it, because it seems to me that, that you know, that, that you're asking to enforce in an election some uh, uh, context, a, a provision of the Constitution that speaks to holding office. So it's different than the Qualifications Clause, which is all about who can run and then serve, yeah. I don't know that it is different. Okay. Other qualifications for office similarly talk about eligibility for the office. There's nothing unconstitutional about a 30-year-old trying to get on the ballot. Except for this disability can be removed, right, under Section 3. That's what's different about it. And uh, that's uh, the uh, another um, reason that it is very highly likely that Trump's name is not going to be stricken from the Colorado ballot, not from the ballot in Maine, not anywhere. Doesn't mean that his legal problems are over. Uh, the polling shows overwhelmingly that uh, there is a very substantial number of people who would otherwise vote for Trump who say that if he is convicted of a crime, they would not vote for him. And is he likely to be convicted of a crime regarding some of the charges against him brought by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith and some of the charges he's going to have to face concerning his behavior surrounding uh, January 6th and the riots then, if not the insurrection then? Uh, we will all see how that plays out. Uh, coming up, he's uh, still the front runner. And uh, what about his Veep stakes, his uh, selection for a running mate? We'll be speaking about that with Stephen Hayes of The Dispatch coming up on The Medved Show.
pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Stephen Hayes, who is the editor and CEO of the Dispatch, and uh, on a uh, uh, whole series of politically significant uh, uh, bits of news today. It is a real joy to speak to him. He has provocative columns, some of them we've posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, Stephen, if uh, you were to explain what you refer to as the appetite for no labels, how would you explain that and where is there evidence that there is some great appetite for the campaign coming up for uh, those 13 states where I believe no labels has a place already? They're trying to get all 50 states uh, for uh, running the name uh, on a ballot of uh, an, an, a candidate, a nominee they haven't chosen yet. Um, what's the uh, story with uh, no labels and its persistent fascination? Yeah, hey, hey Michael, it's great to be back uh, back with you. Um, it's it's a really interesting question, and you know, one of the things that that people who do what we do like to do and like to speculate about is all of these potential disruptions to what's usually a pretty safe and stable presidential election. We talk about third parties. We talk about, you know, conventions that are contested. We talk about uh, all manner of things that don't end up really mattering. And I think this year, these are the kinds of things that are going to matter and may, in fact, be decisive in this 2024 presidential election. There was a poll um, that NBC News had back in April. And it was a simple question. They asked how many. They asked the, the 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 people they polled, "Will you be satisfied or unsatisfied if it's a Trump Biden matchup rematch?" And five percent said that they would be satisfied with a Trump Biden <laughs> rematch. And there's been other polling that suggests the number of polling as this reality has has uh, seems to be getting nearer and nearer every day that suggests really, you know, uh, only 75% would be dissatisfied. But people don't want this. And, you know, we have evidence, I would say we have abundant evidence over the last 24, 48 hours of the problems that you see both with Donald Trump as the presumptive Republican nominee and Joe Biden as president and as the presumptive Democratic nominee. So that, I think, is the basic case for whatever this turns out to be a third party run, a no labels candidacy, as you suggest, uh, I do think there's likely to be some enthusiasm there. And I think it'll likely matter. And uh, you, you talk about, with a question mark after it, a McConaughey-Hanks ticket. That would be Matthew McConaughey and Tom Hanks. Uh, why, why do you select them? I mean, I know McConaughey's talked about running for governor of Texas, and given some of the controversies involving Governor Abbott, maybe he'd uh, find some support. But uh, uh, who would be uh, top of that ticket? Would it be... Uh, um, Matthew McConaughey, would it be Tom Hanks or would it be Dwayne Johnson, The Rock? Yeah, I mean, I think this is that was not me, just to be clear. That was not me writing writing that. But my colleagues have had some fun 
thinking about people who have, you know, national followings. We're now in, in this era, I think. We've been sort of walking into to the era of the celebritization of, of politics for a long time, but certainly Donald Trump uh, brought us very soundly into that, into that era. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that he won in 2016 is because he had been on, you know, in people's living rooms, firing people who weren't doing jobs well uh, as, as the host of The Apprentice. So I think we're at the point where celebrity really matters, and you can, you know, you can get your 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 word out, you can get your campaign message out in totally untraditional ways. You don't have to wait for, um, you know, to be granted an interview on a Sunday talk show or uh, ABC News morning TV show, you can now create your own audience and create your own following. So I think it does open the door to more celebrities uh, choosing to enter politics. I don't think this is a good thing. I mean, this is this is not my preferred state of affairs, um, but I think it's upon us. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, probably not as much in 2024, but beyond, you know, whether you're talking about gubernatorial races like like the one potentially in Texas um, or or elsewhere, maybe at the presidential level in the coming cycles, we're definitely going to see more celebrities getting involved. Well, it, but that brings us back to this question where uh, three quarters of Americans and I think your your guesstimate is probably, it, it, if, if anything, maybe even understating it, three quarters of Americans lack enthusiasm for a contest between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That that partially is, I think, based upon their first debate last time, four years ago, which was probably the most unpleasant thing I've ever seen on TV, which covers what what can be done or what can be hoped for uh, to at, at least broaden the choice a little bit, other than being forced to take Robert F. Kennedy Jr. seriously. Yeah, I mean, what's crazy is if you look at the polling right now and you look at national polling that has included Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he's routinely polling at about 20 percent. He gets about a fifth of the electorate. Now, I, I'm under no illusion that that's because people are familiar with the policy positions he's pushing to the extent that he has policy positions or even the conspiracy theories that he's floating. Um, but I think it's much more just registering this dissatisfaction with the choice between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump. Kennedy has not done much, at least to this point, to get himself on ballots across the country. And that, I think, will be his biggest challenge. Uh, these ballot deadlines are, are coming up. They come up on a rolling basis. They come up on a state by state basis. And if you don't qualify for the ballot, you're not on you're not you're not going to appear. Uh, you could you know, you could launch a write in campaign in certain states. But that, that gets really difficult really fast. I think that the thing that no labels has is they're already, I think, on a dozen, maybe a slightly more ballots. And uh, as this process continues, they have an actual plan to get on more ballots. And I think on the low end, if you talk to people who are involved in those efforts, they think they can get on three dozen ballots. And on the high end, they think they can get close to being on every single ballot. The question is, what kind of a ticket will they put together? Um, you know, having, having done some reporting around the no labels efforts, 
think they would prefer to have a Republican at the top of the ticket. Uh, they probably would like to have a mixed ticket, a Republican and, and a Democrat. And I think they'd like the, the top of the ticket, all things being equal, to be a governor or a former governor. Um, and, you know, that I think that there would be two big questions. Do people want to support the ticket because it's not Trump and it's not Biden? And I think there's a good chunk of voters who are there, as you suggest. And then can that kind of a hybrid ticket put together a, a message, a campaign message that will make their appear, appeal broader than just a, an anti-vote because people don't like the existing choices. So who's the former Republican governor who could fill that role? Is it Chris Christie? Is it Larry Hogan? Uh, and what about Trump's vice presidential picks? Uh, uh, James Carville has actually nominated somebody to be Trump's vice president. Interesting choice. And no, it's not Mary Madeline. Uh, we, we will be right back with Stephen Hayes of uh, The Dispatch. Uh, coming up on The Medved Show, choices for VP for Trump. Will it matter more than that kind of choice usually does? I think so, actually. We'll be right back. You saw real white trash on display. Michael Medved. He, he dresses like white trash. He really needs a fashion consultant. joined by Steve Hayes, who is the editor and CEO of The Dispatch. Uh, and uh, he has written about many aspects of this uh, campaign, which is unconventional, unpredictable, uh, and uh, uh, dominated by two candidates that nobody seems to like, or at least have uh, uh, at least upward limits in terms of the percentage of people who do seem to like them. Uh, do you heard about uh, James Carville's suggestion as Trump's running a mate, did you, Steve? I have not. Uh, he suggested Kellyanne Conway as a, an ideal vice president for President Trump. What do you think? Yeah, so I'll admit that I don't understand. I don't understand that. The thing that she has, I guess, is that she's loyal and she's TV ready because she's a constant presence on Fox News. But I, I don't see that that helps him expand his electorate much. Well, probably it'd help more than George Conway uh, as as True. an unlikely <laughs> running mate for, for right. Donald Trump. Right. Um, so you, you write about the veep stakes for Trump uh, because... He needs some kind of calming balance, which is part of why he chose uh, Mike Pence. Uh, and Mike Pence used to describe himself as, uh, when he was a talk radio host, as uh, Rush Limbaugh on decaf. Um, <laughs> what What do you think, uh, seriously? I mean, he, it, there, there was a, a whole piece in the New York Times by Frank Bruni about... Vivek Ramaswamy as Trump's running mate. He's not going to pick Vivek, it seems unlikely to me. Where do you think he's going to turn? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would put Vivek as unlikely, but, you know, uh, 
one of a handful of people that he would would maybe consider. Um, I think there's a big question. He, he could try to expand his base by picking somebody who's not sort of primarily a thought of as a MAGA Republican, who's not a Trump first Republican. And if, if he goes in that direction, the most obvious person would be Nikki Haley. She's said a lot of things about him in this past uh, several weeks that make that, I think, increasingly unlikely. She's been very harsh and, and uh, she um, was asked a question about the lawsuit from E. Jean Carroll and the, and the $83 million award from a jury against Donald Trump in that case and said that the jury followed the evidence. So she's in effect endorsed this idea that Donald Trump is, um, you know, sexually abused E. Jean Carroll and should pay for it. So that, I think that makes it hard. The other person who's a, a bit of a dark horse, but has been getting some talk uh, among Republicans in Washington is Senator Katie Britt from Alabama, who's 42 years old. She defeated in a Republican primary in Alabama, Mo Brooks, who was Trump's first pick. But she's, you know, she can speak the language of MAGA when she needs to. She endorsed President Trump uh, before the, the primary, the caucuses and primaries. Um, and would be, I think, appealing to the, the, the suburban women that I think Donald Trump needs to, to do his very best to, to win back. So she would be somebody who, who is sort of a dark horse now, but I think we're likely to hear more about. And then the others, you know, Elise Stefanik, J.D. Vance, some of the others who come from the, the, the MAGA world that, that Trump would love to have. Well, yeah, doesn't uh, Elise Stefanik at least have that background uh, where she came to Congress originally as a more moderate Republican, mainstream Republican, and then uh, went MAGA? And uh, seems she seems to be campaigning actively for it. I get in my for email, sure. I get Team Elise uh, three or four times a day now. And yeah. <laughs> which all of looks like a campaign for vice president for me. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, she's she's sort of I would say she's sort of shameless about it. Right. She's just openly campaigning for it. She will say if anything happens that puts Donald Trump in a bad light or that that makes people question his sanity or where people think maybe he went too far. She's almost always reliably the very first person out defending him. And I think it really doesn't matter at this point what what he does. She will defend it or explain it or, you know, or pretend that it's a good thing. Um, and that when Yeah, he really like, does look like Elvis. Well, yeah. I mean, Trump, Trump loves that. So if, if he's rewarding people who have shown loyalty in the past, she's got to be in the, in the discussion, I think. Uh, in in terms of uh, the impact on the campaign, uh, you, we were talking before about no labels and uh, the fact that uh, Robert Kennedy has 20% consistently in polls or at least 15%, which gets him in the debates. Uh, and and what, what you were saying, I think, is true, is that no labels would prefer to have a Republican at the top of the ticket that uh, leaves out Joe Manchin. So where are they most likely to turn, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. I think Manchin would love to be the no labels candidate and has been he's been involved in conversations with them going back more than a year and in his own way is sort of running a quiet campaign 
to be drafted as the no labels candidate. He spent some time in New Hampshire, some time in South Carolina. Like Joe Manchin would like to do it. I don't think he'd be their their first choice. You know, if, if they're looking at, at governors, I think their first choice or among their first choices would be Chris Sununu, current governor of New Hampshire, who's leaving at the end of his term, uh, served as an outspoken critic of Donald Trump for Nikki Haley's presidential campaign. He was sort of the main surrogate in New Hampshire on her behalf, but you know did lots of national press, including the podcast with the dispatch and some interviews with us. Where he was, he was really directly critical of, of Donald Trump, and he presents in, in sort of an optimistic, idealistic way, um, despite the fact that we're in this crazy moment in our politics. And it's a way I think that that could be quite appealing. He suggested that he doesn't want to do it; that he wouldn't do a no labels, he, he wouldn't be on a no labels ticket. He's not interested in running as a as a third party candidate. But I, I think they probably are interested in him. Chris Christie uh, is another person who, you know, put himself out there as a Republican. Um, I think would be well, certainly open to being drafted by no no labels if they came knocking to him, knocking on on his door. Somebody that that's sort of the profile I think the no labels team is looking for. And probably more than Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, who was very successful for two terms, but does not appear to have the presidential bug in the way that uh, a Chris Sununu might or uh, Chris Christie. We know he's been a candidate yeah, twice. Not Christie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Certainly not Christie. But I think Hogan's an interesting fellow as well. He was the chairman of No Labels and resigned about three weeks ago. Um, with some speculation that he resigned so that he might be considered by the organization. I think you're right. For a while, he had, in effect, made a decision that he didn't want to do it. But when he resigned, uh, there was, I think, some informed speculation that he was more open to it than he let on. He was a successful Republican governor in a blue state, left office with 69% approval rating, but nonetheless managed to govern as you know, more conservative and in one of America's bluest states, he'd certainly have a record that he could tout if he if he decided to jump in, if that's where they landed. And uh, you, is your guess as to the winner in this entire process, or is that looking too far ahead? You mean on the no labels or? or no, the, I, I mean the entire the process. Uh, do we have a second term of uh, uh, <laughs> Sleepy Joe or uh, do, do we have the Donald uh, returning to power or something else? So I don't mean this as a dodge, although it will sound like a dodge. I don't see how Donald Trump wins and I don't see how Joe Biden wins. So it's, it's a difficult moment in the political prognostication uh, world. But you're betting on Cornell West, are you? Over 46. Cornell West, maybe the Libertarians. They'll be on, I think, 48 to 50 ballots. So maybe there's a, a Libertarian candidate. No, I mean, I think it's likely to be one of the almost certain to be one of the two major party candidates. But what happens between now and Election Day in November, I think, is a, sort of a, a steady state of chaos. Uh, with well, the, news the one thing the that, that is fascinating and one of the things that keeps me up at night, literally, is that if a no labels candidate or even a Robert Kennedy is able to win even two 
states and take some electoral votes, you have a real possibility of no majority in the electoral co- uh, college. And then that goes to the House of Representatives, where each state has one vote. So Wyoming has the same number of, of electoral votes in effect as California. And uh, you have Mike Johnson presiding over the whole thing. Isn't it fortunate we live in this greatest nation on God's green earth? 